Let's give this a shot. Let's jump right in. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now let's give it a shot without it being on the screen. You guys who have memorized it, who have thought about it this week, let's go for it, all right? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Man, you guys did awesome. Um, All three services, uh, if you are a guest with us and you just walked in going, I missed out on something, all right? Last week, we challenged our folks to memorize John chapter 10, verse 10, as we jumped into a new sermon series called Fighting Words. And we're going to look at that again this morning. We're going to examine that in a few moments as we're going to learn more scripture, memorize more scripture this morning. But I just want to share a couple moments from where that has taken root for me this week. Uh, earlier this week on Tuesday, there's a group of guys here at church that, that love me and care for me enough to make sure that I'm trying to take care of myself physically. And so we were outside back here working out, um, and we were on this field, and we were carrying sandbags and all kinds of crazy stuff. And at one point, I'm carrying this sandbag, and I get, I mean, I'm weak, all right? I'm tired. I'm out of shape. And uh, I get to one end of the soccer field, and I throw the bag down, and I'm supposed to you know, go back, and I come back, and I'm supposed to carry this thing back, and I lean over, and I'm looking down, I'm sweating, I look down at this sandbag, and I went, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life more abundantly. I mean, I'm preaching to that sandbag, right? So I pick it up, and slowly, I'm not going to make it dramatic, you know, like I just ran back, but slowly made my way back down to the other end. So thankful for that verse, even in that moment. But another time that verse became really real was this morning about 4 a.m. I had a migraine this morning, woke up, took some medicine, went back to sleep, woke up at 6.30, took some medicine, um, called one of the other pastors here and said, hey man, I think you're going to have to preach today. And I'm laying there and I'm trying to go back to sleep. You know, if you migraine people, you know what I'm talking about. Just this pounding going on. And in my head, all I can think of is the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And I thought, okay, Lord, if, if we're going to do this, you got to do this. You got to figure this out because after I take migraine medicine, I feel a little on the loopy side. Um, I don't talk really well, uh, a little loose-lipped. So if something comes out this morning, all right, we're just going to claim John 10.10 over it ahead of time, all right? Uh, So no, I'm I'm thankful that thus far we've been able to, God's just been able to go before us in our time of teaching and look at this verse. But again, this verse was our fighting words for last week because we looked at Matthew chapter 4. And again, if you weren't here, I just want to summarize where we were last week. We examined the temptation of Jesus. We examined uh, what he went through in the temptation of Jesus, and we saw a few things. First thing we saw is you are in a spiritual battle every moment of every day. Now, there are some in this room who would say, man, I don't know that I believe that. But I would argue that at the end of the day, you would, because you realize, you look around this world and you see the hardship, you face temptations and difficulties, and inside of you, you know there's something greater going on. And why is that? Because there is a battle going on in and around you every single day. But I also know that we saw last week that the enemy takes advantage of us in the moment. The enemy... Satan speaks truth and mixes it with deception, speaks deception, mixes in some truth to make it a little bit more palatable to us, but also that the enemy promises pleasure but minimalizes pain. If you remember last week, we looked at how the enemy 
shows us all the pleasures, all the benefits, if we want to call it that, of a temptation or of something going on in our lives. But rarely, if ever, does he peel back and show us in full disclosure the pain and the difficulties that are going to come. He promises pleasure, but he minimalizes the pain. So how do we get ready for the battle? We need to keep our eyes open for the enemy, especially after a victory. We need to remain in a growing relationship with the Lord. We must be led by the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 16. We must respond with fighting words, and we must stand in a place of victory through the cross, not apart from, not on our own power, but through the cross of Jesus. And so my desire is over this, this week and the next few weeks is for us to realize you're in a battle, recognize the need for you to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you don't already, that's the first thing you need to see is that through this, you need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and that we need to become prepared for the onslaught of temptations and struggles that are going to come our way. So again, last week we looked at John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I hope that you took the opportunity to memorize that We didn't send you reminders. We didn't drive you crazy because I want this to be something you feel like between you and the Lord that you are willing to do each and every day. We're going to give you another verse towards the end of our teaching time today for you to dig in, for you to make your own. Because here's what I, I know. I know that if you knew that when you walked out of this room this morning that you were going to go into a physical war, Meaning that somewhere out there, you're going to walk out of this room and you're going to go into a physical war. You're going to take every piece of armor, every piece of ammunition, every weapon that you can take, and you're going to go into that battle prepared. It would be naive of you to say, hey, I know I'm going into a major battle and a major war physically, and I'm going to leave off the armor and the weapons by which to fight, and I'm just going to go into battle thinking maybe I won't get shot at. You would never think that physically. Therefore, you don't need to think that spiritually. You are going into a battle. Scripture has promised us to armor. God has given us his provision, his Holy Spirit, for us to fight from through Jesus Christ. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So today we're going to look at one of those things, those struggles that I believe the majority of us have already, if not, we are going to face. And it is fear. Now, fear for some of you may come in different ways. Some of them may be a little on the humorous side to other people, but not to you, right? Some of you have fear of snakes. Can I get an amen in the room? All right, amen on that. Some of you would say, that is not a laughing matter. I have a fear of snakes. Some of you would say, you have a fear of spiders. Amen, there we go. Fear of heights, fear of public speaking, fear of clowns when were they ever funny in history some of you have a very real fear and it's coming up this week in two days it's called the irs now if you're under 18 you're like i don't know what you're talking about life's great wait it's coming all right and this week as i was working through some taxes and accountant and all this kind of stuff i had this this realization, if you work for the IRS, I'm sorry to put you in this mindset, but this is what I think of. I think of the IRS being this giant building. There's thousands of people sitting in these little tiny cubicles, and they got stacks of paper, and they're just 
just going through them, digging through them, looking for some mistake. And when they find it, they let out this evil laugh. Ah, ha, 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 right? Like, I got this guy. I'm going to give him a call. And you've got a fear of the IRS. But there's real fears. Fear of not being good enough. Fear of rejection. Fear of failure. Fear of losing control. Fear of death. Fear of the unknown. You see, some of those other ones, to some of us, might seem funny, but all those, many of us have realized and come to to fight and struggle. And at times, fear can do what? It can just paralyze us. It can stop us dead in our tracks and leave us paranoid of the very next step. Fears can keep you from getting a new job, from stepping into a new school. Fears can keep you from stepping into a relationship. Fear of going on a mission trip because you, you don't want to fly. Man, first service, there's this guy in the back. He's like, hey, man. And he said, fear of fly. Some of you have a fear of of asking spiritual questions, of saying, where am I my faith? Fear. Thankfully, all throughout the Bible, God addresses fear. One thing he doesn't say, he doesn't cast it off and say it's not a real emotion. He doesn't say, oh man, you're, you're crazy. You, you shouldn't feel that way at all. No, he addresses it in the middle of moments that people are facing real emotion. And so I want to take you to to multiple passages this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 8, Matthew 14, and Isaiah 41 this morning. If you want to kind of put a finger there in Matthew 8 and 14, and then we'll get to Isaiah 41 a little bit later. But Matthew 8, I want you to realize what's taking place. Jesus has been walking the earth um, for several years with his disciples uh, in ministry, and things are taking place. Miracles are happening. Teaching's taking place. And you would think the disciples were the ones that had it all figured out, but they didn't. They were human. They were trying to take all this in. And so early in their time of walking, there were numerous moments, though, where Jesus would say to his disciples that he needed to go and spend some time alone. And one of the ways that Jesus did that, if Jesus wanted to be alone, he would do what? He would get in the boat and he would go somewhere else. It's the only way he could get away. And so numerous times in Scripture, Jesus does this. Sometimes he takes his disciples with him. Sometimes he sends them on up ahead. But two instances I want us to see very briefly this morning. One of them is Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. Many of you will be familiar with these. Some of these will be new to you. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. For he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and the sea obey him? Now, I don't know if you've ever been in an angry sea or angry ocean, or angry lake, caught in the middle of a storm. But that's exactly where the disciples are. And, and one pastor said, he goes, I don't know if Jesus in this moment was doing one of those parental sleep moments. Some of you parents know what I'm talking about. Let me explain. It's in the middle of the night. 
you're laying in bed, your spouse is with you, the child is crying in the other room, and suddenly you are deep asleep, right? You're breathing deep, oh, whew. And what you're doing is your eyes are closed, and you're thinking, if I lay here long enough, he or she will go, and they'll go take care of the baby, and I'm fake sleeping, right? You've never done that? Of course you're not going to answer to it in church, right? One pastor says, you know, was Jesus laying there just waiting for them to wake him up? Here they are in the middle of this despair and the waves are crashing in. Again, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but I've been in one that was a little bit close to that. I was around 10 years old. I was with my dad and one of my friends. We were in a borrowed boat of a rental home and we were in the inlets uh, outside of Beaufort, South Carolina. Now, I did get that correct. It's not Beaufort, North Carolina, and it's not Beaufort, Georgia. It's Beaufort, South Carolina, all right? And so we were out there, and we're, we're in, in this inlet. We're trying to do a little fishing. A couple things you know, need to know about my family. We're not great fishermen, and we're not great mechanics. So we're there, and the tide begins to change. And if you've ever been to that area, you know when the tide changes, it doesn't go down by six inches. It goes down by six feet. And so it's a very strong current. So we're in this little inlet system, and you know, Dad, in his wisdom, decides, hey, it's time for us to head on back. So he cranks the engine. Uh, engine starts, sounds good, puts it in gear. Nothing happens. It runs, it just won't go in gear, which is problematic because the sea, the ocean, has decided that it's time for it to do its daily ritual and take us out with it. And so dad calmly just says, hey, you guys put on your life jackets. Now I know you're going, you're 10, you're supposed to have your life jackets on. And yes, you should have your life jackets on. But that was also the era that people didn't use car seats. Okay, so give me a little bit of break there. And so we're 10 and we're out there and he says, put your life jackets on. And oh, by the way, get the oars out. There's no oars in the boat. So it's a bar boat. And so we're sitting there. We're kind of slowly getting pulled out. And, and there's part of me that's nervous, but then part of me, I'm watching my dad, and he doesn't look all that worried. And so finally he fumbles around, and I don't know what he did to it, does something to it, and all of a sudden you feel this jerk. And we start moving, but it will only go in reverse. And reverse, and an inlet, and a small boat, we did make it back to the dock. We, we made our way back, but we just slowly, and let me tell you what, it's the quietest boat ride you've ever been on, right? And we're just putting along, just going down. My dad's holding it, and here we are going backwards back to our house, and we finally made it. We were okay. But if you've ever been in a moment like that, you realize the anxiousness, the fear. What's going to happen? Where's it going to take us? What's going to happen? Because the wind and the water and the moment. And Jesus is there with his disciples. And the disciples inquire of him. And Jesus inquires of the disciples, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. I'll tell you why we're afraid. There's big winds and we're fishermen and we know this is not a good situation. Why are you afraid? A couple chapters later, not long later, some of you may not even realize there were two separate accounts. Matthew 8, chapter 14, and Matthew 14, verse 22. Here we're going to see another moment similar to this. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, 
beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now look at me and tell me you would not be terrified. Anybody comes walking on water, you're getting nervous, right? At this point, are you more nervous about the waves or are you more nervous about the guy walking on the water? But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I Do not be afraid. He doesn't explain the circumstances away. He doesn't say there's big waves. He doesn't tell them, hey guys, stop what you're doing. He says, guys, take courage. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. You say, well, maybe... They never experienced this before. Well, they they had been in the waves. They'd experienced it with Jesus before. But this time he's not with them. He's not in the boat with them. There's so many moments in life which can bring fear into our lives. Boat moments. You enter a doctor visit. You've had a myriad of tests. and You're trying to figure out what's going on. And you're waiting for the diagnosis. You're sitting in the office and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. Is that a moment where fear is probable? Yes. It's a real emotion. It's a real part of your day. A phone call starts. Somebody calls you and they start with, your wife has, your child has, your parent have been in an accident. Now, no matter what they say after that, they may say everything's okay, they're fine. But for that second... And that one moment, you're going to replay that moment over and over in your life. You're going to think about that moment, have fear about that moment of what could have come next. Potential fearful moment, yeah. You walk into a new job, you've heard the new boss is really difficult to work for, doesn't like mistakes, and all you do the first day is make mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. And you punch out and you head home and you're thinking, do I have a job the next day? Is it a fearful moment? Yeah, it is. So don't make light of the disciples' moment either. In the dark, in the middle of the night, the waves are crashing. As never before, a teacher, a miracle worker, comes walking across the water, and he says, take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. I love how Andy Stanley summarizes this moment. He says, fear not, not because there's nothing to fear, but because he is near. Fear not, not because there's nothing to fear, but because he's near. The reality is there are moments that fear is crippling. It is painful. It keeps us from experiencing the goodness of the relationship that we can have, as we say in the first song, to have a relationship to a glorious God. And fear just stops us where we are. And he says, fear not, disciples. Why? Because I've been here with you before. Fear not to us. 
Jesus has knelt beside the bed in the Gospels. He's knelt beside the bed of someone who is sick. Fear not. He has wept with families who have a family who has lost someone dear to them, walking through death with them. Fear not. Fear not because Jesus says, take heart. I am here and I have been here before and I am with you. You know, when my dad and we were in that moment, I'm 10 years old, life jackets on, no oars, going through the inlets. I do remember being afraid. But I also remember, and I don't know what your childhood is like and your parental unit is like, but I can tell you this. I, I, I thought my dad in that moment, and I still do, I think my dad's Superman. So there was part of me that was afraid, but there was also part of me going, he's going to get us out of this. He, he, he's going to figure this out. He's not mechanical, but he's going to figure this out. I didn't know that then, right? He's going to figure this out. We're going to be okay. Because what we want in the moments where things are fearful, things are unknown, one of the things that we want is we want someone to come alongside of us that knows where we are, what, what we're going through, don't we? We want somebody that can say, hey, I've been there. I've sat in that office. I've walked through that test. I've been through that experience. I've started that job. I've lost that job. I've walked through that with my children. I've been there. Take heart. Jesus says, it is I. Don't be afraid. And you think, from this point forward, I bet the disciples had it all figured out. No. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. We've got it, Jesus. We'll never make another mistake. We'll follow you faithfully from now until the end of time. No, Peter would follow him until days later he would encounter and deny Jesus. It is I. Do not be afraid. They would desert Jesus. They'd leave him alone. They'd fall asleep where they're praying not being as faithful as they should have been. We see real people walking through real experiences and they didn't have it all figured out. But when Jesus Christ conquers death and sin and the grave, they put all these pieces together and they live the rest of their lives with the understanding, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Those are fighting words. Those are fighting words in the middle of fear, to speak into the middle of fear, to trust as a follower of Jesus to say, you know what, not today, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. But what I love about Scripture is that from the old to the new, it is speaking uniform messages for us. And fear is one of those emotions that is tackled over and over and over in Scripture. In the Old Testament, there was a group of people called the children of God, the Israelites. They had some really great moments in Scripture, but they had more really bad, we'll go with not-so-smart moments. Moments where they were warned by God what to do. They did the opposite. God gave them a list of consequences at times they went through those consequences. At times they sought forgiveness. God forgave them. Repeat. Over and over and over. This is what they do. And over and over and over, you and I, we do the same thing. We know the promises of Scripture. We stare into the face of those some days and we claim them, we live by them. But other days we fall into temptation. We ask for forgiveness. He's faithful to forgive us. Reset. At one point in their history, a prophet by the name of Isaiah speaks to them. He speaks to them what you are going to hear in just a moment that is going to sound really close to the words of, John, of Matthew chapter 14 of Jesus. 
But first, I want to introduce these folks to you. I think it's important to know who the nation of Israel are and their relationship to God. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8 tells us, it says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of my Abraham, my friend. Do you hear the personal nature of God? Now, if you go back and read uh, verses 1 through 7 and you read the description of who God is, you're going to hear the power of God as being creator. You're going to hear all those things. But then the beginning of verse 8, he says to these folks, he says, You, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Before giving the promise that we're going to see in verse 10, he reminds the children of Israel of their position. They are a chosen servant of God. Now, calling someone a servant in our culture and day may not be seen as a positive. But understand who's doing the calling here and what he's reminding them. It's a compliment. It's a sign of care that God is showing to the children of Israel. He is saying, you are a chosen servant. I have not put you off. You are in a relationship with a holy God. Years ago, a family asked me to do a funeral at one point and what is important to know is this family had greatly influenced and continues to do so my spiritual life as a young man uh, before coming to Rich Fork for sure but continued to be a part of my life even when I was younger they when I made sinful choices they loved on me they cared for me and so when they asked me to do the service for the patriarch of the family I was in shock I was in awe I was humbled And in that moment, I was going to be their servant. Knowing that they thought enough of, knowing that they cared enough for, knowing that that relationship, they had chosen me to be their servant in this moment to care for them. To have a relationship with them. And before God gives this promise, he reminds the nation of Israel, he says, listen, you're my chosen servant. And then he says these words, Isaiah 41 10 may be familiar to some of you he says fear not for i am with you now if we were to take you can just leave it up on the screen if we were to take matthew chapter 14 pull those words out put them right underneath take courage it is i do not be afraid scripture is speaking a message about fear is it not The creator of the universe is speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to the the nation of Israel. He speaks to the shepherds, the same message. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. John Piper calls these the five pillars of fearlessness. He summarizes them like this. Fear not, God is with you. Notice the prepositions in chapter 41, verse 10. The relationship of where we are to a holy God. God is with you, I'm by your side. Fear not, God is your God. He is God over you. Fear not, God will strengthen you from inside of you. 
Fear not, God will help you all around you when the enemy comes. Fear not, God will uphold you from underneath you. Each of these, describing the relationship to God to each and every one of us, he summarized, he says this, over you, by you, inside you, around you, underneath you, do not fear. It's the same truth that Jesus speaks. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Not because there's nothing to fear, but because he is near. Now I want us to repeat Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. And I want you to say it with me this morning. And what I want to do as we repeat these words, I want you to emphasize the word I this morning. All right? You guys ready? Let's do this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Notice this passage and scores of others. If you type in on one of your your tools that you can use online or that you may have a, a book at home, look up the words fear or fear not. And many of the times you're going to hear the reply answered in those verses. And it's going to be, fear not, I am with you. But this verse, Isaiah 41 verse 10, is not about what you can do in the middle of your circumstances. It's about what God is willing to do in the middle of your circumstances and what he has already done. The problem with most of us, including myself, with fear is we step into the place of God. And we say, I can do this. I can carry this. I can make my way through this. But the creator of the universe says, no, I've got it. He says, I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. The key for us to see in fear is that fear is going to come. Emotions are going to come. Difficulties are going to come. But in those moments, we need to realize and rely on that I, the creator of the universe, will be with you. It's not about you. It's not about what I can do or what I can accomplish we take the role of God in those moments and say, no, I, I can't go in there and do that interview. I, I can't talk to, to my boss about those things going on in my life personally. I can't talk to my pastor. No, you can't. But I, the Lord God, is with you. He will help you. He will uphold you. He will strengthen you. Why? Because he is your God. You see, we begin to take ourselves out of the picture and fear not Not because there's not difficulties and things to be afraid of, but fear not because he is with us. Another passage of scripture I want to read to you this morning is found in Isaiah chapter 43. And you can go home and look this up and and read back through it yourself and underline and highlight and spend a month on it if you want to. Listen to these words. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for what? I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, 
I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. That's not a huge deal to you because you don't live in this region of the world. But he's saying the enemies that are around you, I turn over to you, I give you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored. Listen to this. And I love you. I give men in return for you. Peoples in exchange for your life. We see this in Isaiah. We see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the sacrifice of Jesus. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east. From the west, I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about a Savior stepping into a boat and saying, guys, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. We live in a world that is broken, fallen, in many cases ruined, and there's, there's plenty of things to fear going around. God knows there's countless people and things that can cause us fear. Waves that can come our way spiritually. But here he says, fear not. Not because of you or your circumstances, but fear not because of who I am. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. I will redeem you. I created you. I will sustain you. I love you. Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. And I have no doubt in this room that there's more than one person in this room that's facing fear. Fear of letting go. Fear of control. Fear of being good enough. And so this week, we're going to memorize some fighting words. Through our relationship to a holy God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to learn some fighting words. It's Isaiah 41.10. Surprise, surprise, right? And you can break this down. There's a little piece, a nugget for every day, if you want to do it that way. But let's say this together. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. Now let me just say this as I said last week. You can memorize this in ESV, NIV, NASB, King James Version. It's good with me. But I'm not going to send you 18 reminders. I'm not going to send you emails. I'm not going to pummel your email account like Trent joked earlier. All right, I'm not going to post it all over every social media account. I'm just going to trust that you believe we're in a battle and you need some fighting words. Every day this week, fear not, I'm with you. Be not be dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. 
I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I'm not going to pray yet. I just want you to bow your heads this morning. I want to ask you a question. And by bowing your heads, just closing your eyes this morning to kind of drown out any visual distractions that may be going on around you or in front of you. What is one thing that you fear might, you might encounter this week? What is one thing that you might encounter this week that will bring fear? I want you to hold that in your, in your mind right now. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to speak these words to you. Fear not. For God is with you. Do not be dismayed. For God is your God. God will strengthen you. God will help you. God will uphold you by his righteous right hand. 